Network. Connected. MIDI session. Running. MIDI show control. Confirmed. DMX interface. Connected. Light control. Confirmed. Ethernet. Active. Audio interface. Active and engaged. Arduino unit. In range. Bluetooth remote pair. Connected. OSC IP. Active. We're ready. Start the queue. It's the show about control. Featuring Andy Dolph, Joshua Langman, Dave Mickey, and Mark Neiser. It's the queue. We still exist, and uh, everybody in one piece? Yep, here we are. Absolutely. Andy, you sound a little under the weather. Uh, yes, I am. Well, we really appreciate you uh, climbing out of uh, your crib there and coming up and uh, playing with us tonight. Just to follow up on a couple things, actually. Um, first off, on the Matrix Mixer, amazing. I mean, I looked at it with fresh eyes after you you, you gave us that lesson last week, and uh, unbelievable. The zeros, I thought the zeros meant something other than unity. I didn't know what unity was, first of all, and uh, suddenly it opened up my eyes to it. I was able to switch, you know, left and right sides. I did those crossfades. Yep. Unbelievable. And I actually realized I have four channels because the duet gives me two, and then I can go headphones out as well, so I can have four. That's true, but they show up as as different interfaces, right? I guess that doesn't matter, though. You still get all of them on a queue. Right, you can't send it to... I guess you can't... You could patch it to to both at the same time, right? You'd have to make an aggregate device. Oh, right, and I I know how to do that from my uh, initial setup. But, um, man, it really got me um, interested in that, and I added a uh, form field to my website that asks people how many speakers they have. And I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate, because you said that um, I could eliminate the soundboard by plugging directly into their amps. And is that something that would be in the wings kind of thing? There'd be, I'd go quarter inch in and, and then there'd be different sets of inputs depending on how many speakers they had? Mark, in, in 90% of the places you play, it probably won't work. If it's a place that has a very simple system, you could. In most of the venues that I've worked in are relatively complicated installed systems. And often they're using their console to send things to like under balcony fills and that kind of stuff. So everything kind of has to go through the console. Yeah, it's it's very different when you're a sound designer on a show and you're designing the entire system from the ground up for that show and you can do whatever you want. But yeah, I wouldn't expect while touring to be able to just scrap the mm-hmm. console. But only because I couldn't send my info to the different speakers. I So I still kind of have to go in there. I was thinking I could design a little iPhone. I have a ton of extra old iPhones laying around, and uh, I could just hand, if I was skipping the board and just going directly into the amps or whatever, even if it was just two speakers, I could just hand him a uh, iPhone with a level adjustment and a little EQ uh, from QLab uh, using TouchOSC or something, and he could adjust the output as he needs yeah, to. Yeah, I, I honestly um, think that going through the theater's board is the easier way to do it. And less failure prone. For that to work, you'd, uh, like Andy said, you really have to understand where all of their speakers are and which amps right. are going to which speakers. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it would be more trouble for you than worth, I think. Okay. And one other quick follow up thing on the go button. Um, I did research the RF a little bit because we discussed whether there was a remote that was uh, RF for that. And it is, it's called the iJet, which I actually have the exact same thing. And when I started to play with it and read on the website, I realized that there is a little funny problem, not really a problem, but something you just have to be aware of, that if you use the RF iJet, which plugs into that docking 
port on the iPad or the iPhone, you lose the um, volume on the device itself. So the sound wouldn't play through the iPad anymore. It would only play through the headphone jack or the there's like a little pass-through jack on the um, iJet receiver that plugs into the device. But um, why you know I don't really think you'd really do that anyway because it'd probably be on stage. I mean, the way I would run it and the way I run it now is I have a little Wi-Fi network set up and I use AirPlay and it works perfectly with that. So the only issue with that, and maybe, I don't know if you guys have a, a solution to this, there's terrible latency with that. By the, when, the time I hit, hit go and it goes to AirPlay, there's like a good uh, second and a half, two second delay. I, I think it's it, it's uh, exactly two seconds because I measured it on a show once <laughs> when we were... Uh doing uh iphone rings that way before uh stage caller was invented uh so stage manager hits go two seconds later the phone rings hmm. because you're using airplay to get it there right yeah airplay just has hmm. an obnoxious delay nothing to, no way to fix it no. use something other than airplay <laughs> i assume you guys all got your onesies because i did ship those andy you got yours right yep yeah they should mine was like three sizes too small though I had oh to that was it. that was meant for andy i'm so sorry i don't know how i mix those up Sorry, Andy, right. you've, you've got mine's on its way. Kyle's wearing mine right now. Okay, it's a yeah. one-size-fits-all normally, but the, I didn't include your egos in there. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, let's talk to Kyle. That music you're hearing is Kyle Swafford, sound designer and composer based out of Cal State Fullerton and the genius behind the Q music. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Thank you very much. I have been listening to the the long mix you did um, that we you loaded on to, onto our uh, Dropbox account. I, I love it. What a talent, man! Tell us about yourself. I really just kind of started playing guitar in high school, and then you know begged and pleaded with my parents for a synthesizer one Christmas, got that, and just uh, I've been working with that ever since. It's been great. Uh, use Ableton Live, this wonderful program. A lot of other producers use. And do you edit that yourself as well? Yes, yes, I do. I do. I mean, I do pretty much everything: uh, mixing, composing, even record myself singing sometimes. You use Ableton Live exclusively, right? Almost exclusively. Uh, yeah, I've used. I used to use FL Studio for a while, uh, but I feel it's easier to just get ideas down faster in Ableton Live. Um, and also, you can perform live and everything. Uh, like I've, I've done, I've DJed shows and stuff using it. It's not the most conventional method uh, with turntables and everything, but it can be done. And I think it's a lot more fun that way, personally. I've never used Ableton, so it can. Can you describe sort of how you work with it? Is it basically a sequencer or? Uh, Basically, uh, so you have the the typical like uh, arrangement view that you have uh, with most DAWs. Uh, but the cool thing about Ableton Live is there's this other view called, um, I believe, Scene Mode, where it's basically just a big grid, and uh, vertically that's the channels, either MIDI or audio, and then horizontally you have individual clips that you can launch. You can warp them however you want to. Uh, you know, like a giant matrix mixer. Exactly, like a giant matrix mixer. Basically, you set the tempo, and then you warp all your individual songs or tracks or what be they uh, to conform to the grid. And 
And one of the nice things about Ableton Live, you could beat map. So you could have a loop playing, and when you're ready to play the next loop, you hit play, and it'll wait until the meet, until the beats actually match. So everything is always in time. Oh, that's awesome. Even if you have no sense of rhythm at all. It's, yeah. it's great. There's so, a ton of hardware out there that's basically just a bunch of LEDs that you can set up in a grid formation, and you can just launch it all from there. Uh, the Launchpad Pro, I believe, is what a lot of people have. But I use the APC-20, which has got little faders on the bottom, too. Uh, and, I mean, they're, they're tiny, so it's not very... Uh, it doesn't work too well if you're actually, like, trying to... Mix, mix it, live. It mix live, yeah. But if you want to do just simple, like, up-down volume, uh, then it's, it's great for that. And so, so with auto-tuning, can anybody sing? Could I sing? Anyone could sing. You could auto-tune a goat, and it would sound like, uh, I don't know. And people have. Yeah, and people have. You could, you could actually uh, look at videos online of auto-tuned goats. It's probably the funniest thing I've ever seen. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you need to start with a MIDI file, right? So that, or, or something, you need to give it some kind of reference so that it knows what, what it's pitch shifting to. Oh, no. Uh, the great thing about auto-tune is it, you can just input uh, the individual notes that you want it to jump to. And then uh, from there, it will automatically pitch correct to those notes. Uh, or you can just do chromatically, and it'll correct to the nearest note. Well, you can tell it what key the tune is in. Exactly. And then it'll just it'll just correct you to be right on whatever the pitch you're closest to is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, if you have a really, really fast attack, then you get kind of that T-Pain effect of just jumping automatically to the next note. And if you have a slow attack, then it's going to be a little bit more subtle, uh, depending on what you want. And my favorite is auto-tuning live. I am music director once asked me to auto-tune a performer because they cast someone who couldn't sing. So we auto-tune him, <laughs> tuned him during the entire It's <laughs> a great solution. <laughs> What did you, what did you use? Um, it was a um, TC Helicon Auto Tuner. It's a two hundred dollar little harmonizer and auto tune, and we just told it to reach for the closest note. So as long as he wasn't too far off, it would just wow. bring him right into the closest note he was at. Help him out. Wow! And a couple of times he started sounding like. And did it sound reasonably? Yeah, most time it sounded pretty good. A couple of times he sounded like T Pain, and then we I would just drop wow. his fader. Two hundred bucks to sound amazing. <laughs> Yay, auto tune! <laughs> all right, I'm going to get one of those, and uh, we'll all sing a song together next week. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Can I get a credit card number, Kyle? <laughs> Six four nine two two three <laughs> seven seven four three nine one one. Wait. Why does that spell bite me when I look at my phone here? Can I have that, your uh, social is... security as well? Yeah, it's F-U-C... I- iTunes, folks. iTunes, iTunes classification. Uh, <laughs> I'm just keeping us right on the edge. Right on the edge, kids. We got we got by with that sex reference last show, so let's try to not to slip off the deep end there. How did you compose the music on Ableton Live? Uh, basically just kind of start with a little melody uh, and build from there is what I like to do. Uh, so I knew, you know, it has to be really upbeat for the intro, electronic, because, you know, we're dealing with MIDI and show control and all these, you know, little things like that. And uh, so I just built it from there and, uh, you know, just playing around with 
notes and things, percussion, finding the right, you know, kick drum or snare or what have you. Uh, it's it's a lot of building and then going back and looking at it and going, okay, that works. Or I don't know if that works. I'm going to wait until tomorrow. And then you look at it the next day and it's like, oh, no, that's crap. Let's cut that. Let's cut that. Let's cut that. Uh, and I really like to add as much as I can and then cut from there as opposed to having just a little and building again. Well, thanks, Kyle. Anything else you want to tell us about uh, making music and inspire us a little bit? Once you start out, you're going to suck. That's almost guaranteed. Uh, but just keep working and working and working, and eventually you'll get there. Trial by sucking. Trial by sucking. <laughs> That's, yes. How do, you, how do you know when you don't suck? You really don't, which someone is hires the unfortunate you. thing. Yeah, once you get hired then that's when you really know, okay, at least I can produce something decent now. Uh, did Dave pay you? Yes. He did, yes. Oh, okay. Well, we have to and actually, it. I've hired Kyle several times on productions where I needed original work. So I brought him along, and we'd sit there, and Kyle would compose something, and then I would take it, all the stems, and butcher it and make him cry <laughs> and <laughs> make a piece of theater out of it. Did you give him sort of a reference for our show, like a theme away or, or just free reign? I I gave him notes what we talked about and the kind of feel, the electronic feel. And I know Kyle's great at creating that kind of music and it's kind of his game. So I brought it to him and he said, yes. And like what, 24 hours later, I had the rough sketch of something going, which is amazing. So do we own the rights to this so we can, you know, sell CDs of our our background tracks as long as you have my name on there you can do whatever you want okay. with it. you heard it well cds yeah. i don't what am i talking about we'll post it on itunes yeah we could we could have yeah. a free download we could sell it on itunes i'd free. love to have it on itunes <laughs> kyle wh- yes. why don't you uh give us your full name and and website if you have one on air and in, in case anyone listening wants to hire you my full name is kyle thomas swafford uh and i'm a composer slash technician i cool. guess and we'll have a link to uh, kyle's Just contact slash information. designer slash technician but mostly i'm mostly a composer very cool how many slashes do you have when you're you know <laughs> 37 37 slashes as many as needed Thanks, Kyle. Really appreciate it. Love the music. Absolutely. Thank Thank you, guys. I'll take you out with the same tune just because it makes me smile. (laughs) Do we want to talk about crazy setups? I mean, I've I've got a crazy setup story, and I'm sure... Let's do that. uh, Dave, why don't you bring us in since you were the one that originally scribbled that? Isn't that, that true? That is true. I put a crazy setup. One of them, well, I put it because after seeing your crazy setup, um, I thought that was fun and, and quite amazing that your QLab file had over 2,000 cues for a one-hour show. That is extremely impressive. So it was over 4,000 when uh, Mark showed me. Yeah, let me see how many. I, I'm, I can't actually open the file because it'll <laughs> it'll cause all kinds of sounds. But I think it is around... Yeah, whatever you said. Was it really it was, 4,000? When, when uh, I looked at it a couple of weeks ago, it was it was fourth at like 4,500, something like that, cues. But I have a lot of stuff that's I don't use. So, like, it depends on the setup. So sometimes, even though it's it's triggering three separate lighting boards simultaneously, um, you don't have to do that, you know? So it really only is firing the one to say. But the show that you saw was cool because it had, I was running um, DMX on Universe 1, 
And then they had extra lights in universe two, conventionals. So it was running two universes and then uh, also triggering uh, the moving lights um, through MIDI show control through their light board. So I was actually running three, not really universes, but three systems uh, simultaneously, which was so much fun. Weren't those moving lights beautiful? They were. It was a great show. Well, thanks. Thanks. Well, I I just, uh, again, I've learned to do this stuff by having people like you guys go, you know, Mark, you could actually. And I have an idea for you because I saw and went, hmm, you know, have you seen Main Stage? Main Stage is the live version of Logic in GarageBand. So there's no recording component. It's only for playback. So you plug in your MIDI, MIDI instruments and it'll play whatever sound you want. And it's not using all the resources as if it was trying to record. So much slimmer, cleaner, only for live performance. Very cool. Okay, I'm looking at it right here. That's a great solution because, yeah, using GarageBand is a joke. That thing pops up all kinds of warnings every time you change your MIDI inputs. Yeah. And uh, it's a resource hog. <laughs> so, Josh, why don't you tell us about your crazy setup? Okay, so uh, this isn't uh, that technologically crazy, but uh, I, okay, a little bit of background for this story. When I am not being a rogue theatrical designer, I do letterpress printing. Uh, And if that doesn't mean anything to you, think Gutenberg. So I do printing from metal type and uh, plates and... Uh, I had this piece that was going to be shown uh, in a printmaking exhibit, and I wanted to do a sort of play on the idea of a printed circuit board. A lot of circuit boards are essentially printed with electrically conductive ink, uh, which is uh, how they function. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool and weird if I could letterpress print a functional circuit board? What? Which, which is a concept that sort of made no sense. And it was like, but, you know, I want to I try to print something that actually can carry electricity and, and does something. So uh, I drew this, you know, design with a lot of crazy lines. If I can find photos, I'll, I'll stick them up on the website. And uh, I printed this thing. And while the ink on the paper was still wet, I took powdered graphite and sprinkled it on top of the ink because graphite is conductive. And uh, I did this, this fun little test when I was figuring this out where I just, I took, you know, one of those little like hobbyist electrical kits where you get a bunch of wires with alligator clips and things. And I, I clipped them to like either side of a piece of paper yeah. and, and drew a line with a pencil between the two alligator clips and then the circuit turned on. Um, so, so I took this concept and I was going to make this poster that did something that carried electricity and, and made something happen. And, uh, I had just discovered this funky little tool called a makey makey, which is an Arduino, uh, that takes, uh, electrical voltage as its input and sends out keystrokes, it emulates a keyboard over USB to a computer as its output. Uh, And uh, the way it works is you get, it just takes uh, USB voltage, 
and there are a bunch of places to connect wires to it. And you just complete a circuit. Uh, and when you send the electricity that it's sending out back into a port on the Arduino, it executes the corresponding keystroke. So uh, I took this thing and someone had just given it to me as a gift. Like, I don't know what you do with this, but it's, you know, it's a little piece of electronics that, that you might. And, and so the first thing I thought is, oh, this is just begging to be used with QLab. So uh, I made this little QLab workspace. Uh, and I brought in some speakers and a little dimmer pack and I like set up some lights and I had this laptop going and I had this little makey makey thing sitting there and, uh, I hooked up all these wires to the edges of this poster and, uh, I just put a little sign there saying, you know, touch any two points on the poster because what happens is uh, the current is coming out through the USB port on the computer, through the makey-makey, into the poster, through the graphite. It travels through your body. Your body conducts the current. It goes back into the poster, blah, 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 into the computer, and it makes QLab do something. So, uh, so we had this up at this exhibit, and it's this, you know, it's a, it's a printmaking exhibit, which is like everyone's sort of like quietly, <laughs> you know, mulling around with their little like hors d'oeuvres and things. And I had this thing set up in the corner that was going like, bang, you know, <laughs> uh, and, you know, and, and it, it like gathered this, this little crowd because people were sort of fascinated by it. Uh, so it ended up being this kind of pun on the idea of printed circuitry using, you know, this, this comparatively ancient piece of technology, you know, in, in conjunction with this very new piece of software to a, make stuff happen so it so it was an interactive letterpress printed circuit board and that is my uh ridiculous hookup story of the day so cool was it triggering That's an individual awesome. like sound file in qlab when circuit a is closed it'll play yeah the file uh, y or whatever the uh the arduino gives you maybe six or eight uh different uh inputs where you can plug cables into it that correspond to different keys so I had like eight cues set up with different hotkeys and some of them turned on lights and some of them fired sounds. Yeah, I think it does six analog and 13 digital inputs. For the Makey Makey? Oh no, the Arduino. Yeah, the, the Makey Makey, which is worth looking up, uh, is just, you know, it's a, it's a specialized custom built Arduino that, that sends keystrokes, basically. Huh. That's absolutely fascinating. I wish I could. Do you have any pictures of the setup and the and the picture and everything? I'm, you know, I'm going to try to find pictures. Uh, I couldn't find them for today. Okay, well, we got to recreate that when we do the QLab convention. <laughs> uh, have you guys ever heard of the Soundwalk? It's a sound art exhibit in Long Beach. Happens every year about September, October. So advertisement for them. And you could present sound. It just cannot be music. Interesting. So I presented this project I was working on during grad school, and I was supposed to present it there and never happened. So it was living in my garage for a while. <laughs> and it's these four towers. On each tower, there's a speaker towards your ankles. There's one at your waist and one at your head. So four towers, you stand in the center, and you're completely covered by sound. So X, Y, N, Z sound. And on top, I put a video camera and then a glowing ball 
and the users would go inside in between the four towers, hold the ball, and move it around the space, and the camera would track where the ball was and would reproduce the sound so the sound was following the ball within this XYZ tower thing. Presented it one night, took it home, and threw it away. Wow. That's Max MSP, right? All Max MSP. Uh-huh. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. That is so cool. So where'd you throw it away? Is it which dumpster exactly? I think we should make a new segment that's called What's in Your Garage. <laughs> we, I was laughing at We me. wander in there and pull so out all stuff. this. He's been in my garage. Stuff that we've accumulated. I mean, 90% of what I come up with is, is a fail. So I have probably $100,000 worth of junk down there. It's the nature of the beast. You know, I still have a quarter track reel to reel deck in a closet downstairs because, you know, every so often somebody will find like in the family or something, an old reel to reel recording that has like people who have been dead for years that they would really like to hear. I laugh because I have one and in my office. I drag the deck out and digitize it and email them a file. Unbelievable. And they had pretty good sound for the day, right? That was the kind They're of cutting amazing. edge. Some of them sound really good. Uh, the one I have is is okay. There are some modern ones for, you know, people who are wanting a quote-unquote more analog sound where they're doing like two-inch wide tape for two tracks for stereo. So each track is on one inch wide of tape. And those things just sound so pristine. But they're like, I don't know, $50,000 machines or something. Just mentioning crap in the basement, I have a dimension beam. Anybody know what that is? No. It's a uh, basically a box. I happen to live right near the company in LA when I lived there. It's about 12 inches by 6 inches. And in the very center of it is a little infrared light that sends out an onion skin of 127 layers of infrared light. And then as you move into the light with your hands or balls or, in my case, jump ropes and things like that, it will trigger whatever. It'll send that MIDI information, which you can, you know, load into anything. You know, in those days, there was, there was no QLab. So I think I was just, I don't even know how I was making the sounds. I was hooking it up to a drum machine. And so I, you could isolate it and not make it be all 127. And so what I would do is like, for example, I would put tape on, you could extend the range using some kind of reflective tape. And I'd have tape on a jump rope, a headband on my head with the reflective tape on it. And, uh, and then this ball would also have some tape on it and reflective tape. And so as the ball bounced in and out of, of the beam and the rope moved through the beam, it would make this, you know, this impossibly inept sort of tones. And uh, I dragged this thing around the country doing college gigs for years, thinking I was some sort of just genius. And, uh, oh, what a waste of time. It's a cool thing. I just never quite figured out what to do with it to, to, make it look, to make it really be awesome. Actually, it's still there. So. Yeah, it would be an, an interesting to use in some kind of installation just as a, a motion sensor, have people walk by. Yes, it would be. And actually, now that you say that, I did set it up for a Maker Faire um, right in front of a table and had a moving light. And as people walked in front of it, the moving light would track them and move that's cool and move with them that was a combination with qlab lx console and uh oh that's great and um and the dimension beam there so i love the name of it it doesn't it sound great you know it does yeah it's like right yeah, who wouldn't want one? i want one <laughs> i don't I, where's this store in la oh i can't now? remember it's been so long. i wonder if they still make them i'll do a quick uh, google search there yeah i remember seeing something at a maker fair and like make magazine playing uh, harp using one for a harp 
Yeah, it, it could definitely be done that way, right? And the guy that sold it to me took me in his studio, and he was a, a musician, and he had everything just all over the place. But he was using two or three of them to... Because you can really play a virtual piano is what it really was designed to be. So you can put your hands in this thing and actually have a real piano mm-hmm. right there, an invisible piano. A bit like the experience of playing a theremin. It was very hard to master, though. I mean, I tried to juggle in it to make specific sounds consistently, and uh, it was very, very tough. I think you would find a theremin was just as hard. I've tried one a couple of times, and to get any sort of reliable pitch, like, it's easy to make cool Star Trek noises with it, but to actually, like, play a song or even a scale is mind-bendingly difficult because you have got to put your hand in exactly the right place in midair with no reference. I went to a theremin concert once. Beautiful. This guy was amazing. I have no clue. I don't remember his name. But yeah, he could play, he played probably five, six songs on it. It was just beautiful. Yeah, I get him on the show. Very cool. Andy, you got a story for us? I was the technical director for a high school. And, you know, we we had a reasonably well-equipped auditorium, including a fairly decent, um, 5,000 lumen projector, which, you know, was bright enough to make a picture with stage light. Um, and so we were looking at doing some, um, some video sequences as a part of a show. And we were just sort of kicking around, how are we going to trigger these things? How are we going to play them um, in a way that's reasonably elegant? The father of one of my students is a software engineer and he cobbled together a little piece of software that basically would take MIDI show control messages in and based on the MIDI show control messages, control mPlayer, which is a Linux video playback system. But it can be controlled from the command line. This was before QLab. I was using PC-based tool called SoundCue system, which I believe still exists. I think it's called ShowCue system now. Yeah, it's still around. That would send a, a MIDI show control message to this Linux box down on the stage. It would play the video. It was a, it was a hacked together little video server. The thing is, when you want to do it on a budget, it's getting easier because the hardware's gotten so much more powerful and tools like QLab exist now. And, uh, but for a long time, I mean, if you wanted to do this kind of stuff, you were looking at something like Dataton Watchout, which is a really great platform, but it's unbelievably expensive. And when it crashes, it screams, watch out across all the screens. It does. It's amazing. <laughs> okay, so, so that's new since I used it. ShowQ system does? No, no, no. no Dataton Watchout. Wow. Because they used it at Universal Studios for the Creature of the Black Lagoon, and it would crash multiple times during the day, and it would just scream on every projection screen, watch out. (laughs) I have a built-in, it's not crash, but um, if anything goes weird on my computer during the show because I'm not in front of it. Uh, Siri, I have, I've hacked the Siri voice, so it actually appears on my phone. She says, everything's going great. <laughs> so in, whenever there's a dialogue box that appears on the screen, she just comes on and says, That's everything's great. going great. And then I know I'm screwed. <laughs> what, how, when, where, why, FAQ the Q. You've got questions. 
We've got long and detailed technical answers. So when I'm out in a gig, I get these crazy buzzes. People mumble about, you know, I need a ground lift. Of course, I have a ground lift in every single bag because I know I need them sometimes, but I have no idea why. Why oh, okay. removing H- that hang, little... Hang on a sec, because there's something okay. really important here. When you say ground lift, what do you mean? Uh, I mean a little plug that adapts from three prongs to two prongs with a little green piece of metal for like a extra ground on the other side of that. Okay, right, you go, go to all of your bags, take them out, <laughs> and burn them. <laughs> You are. They're made of plastic, okay, buddy. We're not going to kill the world. You, right? You're going to kill yourself. You you really? are literally yeah. putting your life in danger by using those because oh. what you're doing is defeating the safety ground. The idea is right, but you're doing it in the wrong place. So here's the problem: if there is more than one way for a signal to get to ground. It can create a ground loop where the current is circulating basically down the shield of the audio cable and then back through the electrical grounding system. And that makes 60 cycle hum. It can make other noises too, but 60 cycle hum is the typical one. So what you need to do is interrupt that loop, which is what you're doing with that adapter. But in the process, you are also creating a dangerous situation because you're defeating the safety mechanism. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Almost Famous? There's a scene where he grabs the microphone and he almost fries and dies. Really? Yeah. You're sending the electricity back through. And and there's at least four or five cases I know of um, that uh, I I was saying, I'm taking this electricity class. He was telling us about this this morning, that there's four or five confirmed cases where a... Uh, guitar player had his hands on the strings of his electric guitar, touched the microphone, and died. It was <gasps> electrocuted. Really? This wasn't the drummer in Spinal Tap, was What it? you need to do is interrupt the ground, but not the safety ground. What you do is, is in some way, interrupt that, that ground in the audio path. And that's where the direct box comes in. You have active ones that do take power, or you have a passive one that does not. But what it's doing, it's lifting the ground from that line, from the mic line, preventing the buzz from continuing through. Depends on what was causing the problem. If it's dirty power, then a power conditioner might solve it. If its electrical system is wired wrong, uh, which could also cause it, it might need to be fixed. Um, Or if it's just a ground loop, then audio isolation transformers, which would also be a good thing for you to have, Mark, and they weigh almost nothing. They're little tiny things that it's like an XLR male to female little barrel connector thing, but there's no electrical connection between the two XLRs. It's a transformer. And so they're magnetically coupled together. And so no actual voltage can get through it, but the signal gets through it. But a lot of times my buzz is coming from, like if like the computer, for example, if I unplug the computer from the power strip, add that plastic oh, thing so that they I'm have dirty burning power, right now. So they're having their power from their negative going in the ground, and that's scary. So one way to get around it, you could get a Furman power conditioner. And just buy just something. I got to buy more crap. Yeah, those are super useful. And, and would that be sort of included in the same piece of hardware as a battery backup? Without the battery. 
this all it does the power conditioner cleans your power cleans dirty power so like the studio i'm in right now we have five of them keeping the studio clear of dirty power and so I, my power strip should be a um power conditioner as well well if you buy a power conditioner okay. it's like a power strip it has like 12 outputs or input you know power outlets on it so it serves the same purpose yeah because my whole issue is weight you know i can only right. add something if you know i leave my underpants at home well that was also a very old belief like, i grew up hearing that it's like oh just put a ground lift you have buzz in your speaker just lift it and it's like you start talking to electricians doing the research and go wow you could really kill someone by lifting that ground but that was very popular in the 70s killing people <laughs> and lifting the grounds i went into a theater in uh, san francisco not too long ago in october and i went behind looked at their amps every single amp had a ground lift on it i would refuse to turn on their system i walked away Oh, before we go on, let me say one more thing about those little adapters. There's an obvious question. If the things are so dangerous, why do they exist? And the answer is because if you use them for what they were actually intended for, they're perfectly safe. And what they're intended for is if you go into an old building that has two-wire power, you know, that it's a, it only has two-prong outlets, then what you do is unscrew the screw on the switch plate and plug that little adapter in and then screw the screw back through the green tab and now you're connecting that to the electrical box and you have created an actual grounded outlet yeah i was going to say we've got i've got a couple of those in my house right here that i hooked up that All right, way. that's uh that scared so. me pretty bad andy thanks good job that was the goal yeah don't die out there <laughs> Put the screw in it. Disaster. He died. He, he died in a bizarre gardening accident. You screwed up. That was tragic, really. He exploded on stage. Fix it. The review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. Welcome to Tales of Disaster. You screwed up. You got to fix it. What are you going to do? Tell us your stories. Send them in, and we're going to put them on the air. There's a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Like flash of green light, and that was it. So, uh, Joshua, last week you had said, uh, "Can it be a, you know, a lighting story?" And I mean, this is disasters. There's no, really can go all over town on this. Um, there's no rules. Just when things go badly, this is where you this is where you spill your guts and confess to uh, all the bad in the world. Um, my story is so is short. It's just uh, working at SeaWorld out in front of Shamu, basically entertaining the people as they come in early in my career, quote, unquote. And uh, it's a special day at SeaWorld. There's a huge group of um, some kind of religious group that's there all in white flowing robes. And they're walking around. It looks very ethereal and beautiful. And I'm like, you know what? This is the day that it's going to be really nice. Nobody's going to you know, do anything with my stuff. I'm going to go up into the big SeaWorld tower that rotates around so I can see SeaWorld. And I could never go up there because I never wanted to leave my stuff down there. So I leave my stuff, go to the tower, go up to the top of the tower. It's spinning around the very top. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I wonder where, I, where my stuff's located and just kind of get my bearings. I look down and then one of the guys in the white robes is going through my stuff. Unfortunately, because this thing is rotating, um, I have to continually run around 
over all these people pressed up against the glass, keeping an eye on this lunatic screaming, he's taking my stuff. And nobody knows any idea what I'm talking about. And so anyway, he tries on my, uh, my derby, which is how I collected my tips in those days and decides it fits beautifully, puts it on his head. And then I uh, have a couple apples because I would juggle apples and eat them and uh, takes an apple and looks at it and uh, kind of looks around and plops it in his little satchel there and uh, wanders off. And I am still running around. By this time, it's starting to come down and I'm still running, trying to just climbing all over people and screaming like a sweaty maniac. <laughs> and uh, so I position myself at the door. Now I see where he's gone. He's kind of go around and, ba- and around and off to- towards um, the dolphins there. And I positioned myself by the door where I came in so I could bust out the door and run and go get the guy. And uh, of course, if you know anything about rides like this, the door that you get off is on the opposite side so that the traffic flow can happen. Door opens. I'm in exactly the wrong place. You know, last insult, I climb over the dead bodies I've left in in my wake and uh, (laughs) chase the guy down. Say, hey, man, can I have my apple back? And he's like, you know, what? I don't have an apple. It's in your pocket. It's in your satchel. And then same thing with a hat. And he goes, you know, this is my hat. And I said, well, why does it have my name in it? And uh, he, he said, how did you know? And I said, well, jugglers know when you touch their stuff. And anyway, he was escorted out of the park. And uh, I don't trust people in white robes anymore. Wow. Dave, do you have a disaster story for us? I was doing a project at a major theme park in California. And we're working on the show. And it's... Halloween time, and we're under the gun and stressful. We're running two Mac Pros, running each one's running four screens, a Mac Book running a 12K projector, a Mac Mini running four more screens, but they're all just mirrored. And all the computers are connected with each other through. Um, Cat5 running IP MIDI, and then we have one SFX machine sending MIDI through standard MIDI over to the first Mac, and then that sends IP MIDI using show control to all the other ones. Everything's running great. We start pushing content through, and as soon as we start playing content, it crashes. And the computer has to reboot and everything, and we're great. What's going on? We're sending one piece of content to four screens, this should be playing just fine. Well, it ends up the video card couldn't handle the codecs. So then I'm, I was brought in just to design, put the system, make it work. So I'm working with the video designer, and we're just pumping out all different, every single kind of codecs his, video, his computer could create for video, shoving it on the machine and just seeing which one would run stable. And we ended up using PhotoJPEG in VGA quality, and everything ran 100% perfect. Even though we're running DVI lines, everything was supposed to be HD, but the only way we can run the computer without the cards crashing was photo JPEG resolution, or photo JPEG in VGA resolution. And, and those were just the Apple graphics cards, nothing, no, no external video cards? Um, I didn't build the machines, so I'm not 100% sure what was in the machines. So I was given the machines, okay. and and I went to set it up. So, uh, <laughs> And did you they, stumble on that by trial and error? Trial, trial and error. I set the first one up. We started running content, and it crashed. So we just went through, and 
and just pumped out every, well, we made one video test file and tried it in every single codex that uh, Final Cut Pro had. And wow. we would just test to see which one would run the best. Wow. But this was also 90, uh, 2009. So things are much better now. Wow. Yeah, the thing with PhotoJPEG is that it is about as easy on the CPU and the GPU as it possibly could be. There's just almost nothing for them to do. Yeah. The only problem with it is it makes big files. And Massive. so can you can you get enough data off the hard drive fast enough for it to play? Hmm. Which is probably why you couldn't do it in HD. Because you hmm. probably couldn't pull the data off the drive fast enough. Well, the drives had, it was four drives in array. Oh, okay. And everything was really beefed up on it. I forget what the original codex was. But, uh, but now we're running everything as, what is it, um, RS-244. And everything seems to run much smoother. And especially now with QLab 3. Um, frames drop less and everything than wow. QLab 2. So just random question. I'm curious. Why did you have an SFX machine in addition to these like 27 QLab machines? The SFX was playing back all the sound cues. And at the time, the park did not want to switch the sound effect computer. So what we would do, and they didn't want to pay for a video operator. So all the sound effects were being played off of SFX. And then I would throw MIDI cues that would send over to the Mac. So all the complete video system was completely independent and without an operator. So if anything went wrong, I would receive this panic phone call and I would have to go and fix it. Luckily, after we fixed the codec issue, nothing went wrong for the rest of the run. Well, that's good. But we also did the same thing like you were saying, Andy, last time with the preloads. Mm -hmm. And the only time... The only way we could get the audio and the video to sync was to make sure we had a preload on every single video queue. And then we would do special timeouts for the load because we didn't want it to load the next content right when the first one played. So I would have a wait and then load it at certain times. Or we load certain large video content earlier in the show. So it was this real balancing act of making sure we could load the entire show and continually go forward. And sometimes the show would change and they would jump places in queue. So we'd also have to make sure we had that plan just in case they jump part of the show. I'm so glad that SSDs and more powerful computers have made loading way less risky. Yes. SSD will change your life. Go get an SSD drive. It changed my machine to a Ferrari. Yeah, absolutely. Best thing I ever bought. Yeah, here, here. Man, yeah. I, I, no single upgrade has done more for my machine than that. So very cool. Josh, I see you have a story. A few years ago, I was the lighting designer on a musical, and we were using uh, a bunch of IQs, which uh, they're a, a Roscoe product, and some some of you may know this. Uh, they put a uh, a moving mirror on the front of a conventional lighting instrument. So you get, you know, a console controllable poor man's moving light. And uh, we were doing some sort of like pretty intricate stuff with them. We were essentially using them as follow spots, you know, for a lot of the show. And the actors were consistent enough that it basically worked. Um, and, you know, it's always like 
the day before you open. Uh, you know, middle of the run, they uh, they just start going crazy. Um, they just you know they're they're mo- they're shooting all over the place. They're moving by themselves. We're like looking at the console. They're like. They're, you know, they're not moving in the queues. What's, you know, they're like blinding everyone in the audience. Like, you know, what's, what is this? Uh, I feel like I should, I should give you all a chance to guess. Does anyone uh, want to guess? Are they being controlled through DMX? Yes. Wirelessly or not? Nope. Wired DMX from the console. Termination? Someone changed the universe number or the starting number on the IQs? I bet, yeah, I would agree that DMX number issue. You want to know? It was it was so stupid. the uh, The DMX cable melted. Oh, right. <gasps> and and a few of the cables were bad. A few of the wires were bad. Wow. Yeah, right. I mean, it was. Oh, we were like, that. it wasn't. You know, because you always sometimes you go to the sort of most, you know, high level yeah. system when problem. You're like, it's in the console. It's Patrick. Right. It's like, no, 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 no. The cable was like brushing up against a source four wow. and just melted to wow. bits. that'll do it and, <laughs> and they were just yeah but it was and, still connected enough to send some information yep. and we uh we had no idea we yeah. i think we found out when we were sending somebody out up in the grid to just take the units down because we were like we can't use them on a show and they were like why is it you know wow. why is there rubber all dripping all wow. over me i should have known the answer to that question because the same thing happened at a show i did in richmond and i had half control of the venue of course, all the lights out in the house, nothing on stage. And I finally just took everything up to the booth and plugged directly into the board and everything was fine. And then it ended up being the cable coming from down to stage yeah. somehow had something yep. in, in wonky in it. And once we swapped it out, everything worked fine. But of course, it's, you know, 15 minutes before doors, we're figuring this out, you know. Wow. I can't believe I didn't guess that. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> if we were talking earlier about Dataton Watchout, I did a show with Watchout really really early in its existence we brought a guy in from california with his watch out rig because he was the only person i could find in the u.s who had actually done shows with watch out he ships out this rack of computers which they had just used for a 24 hour a day run for a month at another show and everything worked perfectly And we just had nothing but problems from the beginning. And it kept crashing. It was a three-projector blend panoramic screen. And it was always the center projector would crash. And it wasn't consistent when it would crash. But it would be a Windows blue screen of death. The center third of this panoramic image would suddenly change to the Windows blue screen of death. And we're just bashing our heads against this. And I notice when that center projector is working that there were these little artifacts, little rectangular, they almost looked like compression errors, but they would just be one or two of them in the center screen. And it only ever happened on the center projector. We finally figured out what was happening was that the graphics card in that computer was dying slowly. And if it got really angry, it would crash with a blue screen of death. I, you know, had this brilliant realization, like we can make this way less of a problem if we make 
the computer with the problem, not the center screen. And so I said to the guy who brought the watchout system in, let's swap things around and make the problem computer the left screen. This theater had a typical A-frame on a skateboard, you know, that that was how they focused. And we gaff taped a little piece of Luon to the A-frame at the height of the projector lens and had it in place with somebody on comm ready if it blue screened to shove the ladder in front of the projector. We got through almost the whole show. It was near the end of the third one. It blue screened and he pushed the thing in. Because it was edge blended, the image just faded off to that side of the screen. And fortunately, because of the style of the video, a lot of it was black anyway, so it didn't really look wrong. It was just there was this flash of blue and then it went away. And then during the speeches that came after that, they rebooted the, comp the problem computer, got everything resynced, and we ran the last video and it was okay. One of the, the most stressful shows I've ever done. It's time for the Q Quiz. Each week, we will test our panel of experts and see if they're as smart as they think they are. What microphone can you record with underwater? Here's a hint. DPA makes it. A hydrophone? Yep, a DPA microphone 8011 omnidirectional underwater hydrophone microphone. Wow, okay. Well, the only reason I know that is I used to swim with a bunch of swimmers, and we would bring these things we could put in the water so we could listen to music while we were swimming. I can't believe I pulled that out of my butt. That was amazing. And it probably cost $3,000 because basically everything that DPA sells costs like $3,000. It was $2,000 10 years ago. Not bad. Because DPA tried to convince me to buy one. I, went, I hmm. probably have one in the basement. Probably. If you want me to run down there and check really quick. Um, yeah, I'll send it to you. You can have one. Perfect. Because I don't... I have two. Did they uh, did they have a convincing argument about why you needed uh, one? I almost became a DPA dealer about 10 years ago. And you have to do a $2,000 order to become a dealer. So they're all, just buy this one microphone and you're set. Sounds like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. And 50 boxes of lotion. <laughs> well, there's nothing like having a hydrophone because swimming across Walden Pond... In high school, late at night, with no clothes on, listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire underwater on a full moon. There's nothing like it. That's it's awesome. It's worth every penny. Yeah. You know, I entirely yeah. believe you. It, it, it was amazing. These were some, uh, yep. Yeah, very cool. All right, I'm going to buy one, and we're going to have uh, the Q team meeting up in Concord, Mass, where I grew up, and uh, we'll plop on the water and recreate that moment. Okay, ready awesome. for quiz number two? Yep, quiz number two. What speaker can you shoot at, set on fire, drive a tank over, and it'll still work? And in their manual, they claim if you scratch it, you take a blowtorch to it. Wait, what? Yep. The speaker was originally designed for military to be strapped onto tanks and pushed into warfare so people could shoot at the speaker and they still work. And they're also on the Jurassic Park ride at Universal behind the T-Rex because there's water and stuff, so they're not going to get damaged. Oh, they're the, the Technomad boxes. Yep. And oddly enough, those are my speakers I have in my backyard. Really? <laughs> well, that's because you're in California where there's lots of gunfire. Gunfire. Fire. Well, I really bought them for the dogs. <laughs> to eat? So 10 years of the dogs peeing on them, they still work.
They have great videos on their website. Yeah, I mean, at Universal Studios in the Jurassic Park ride, these speakers basically sit under a waterfall. Yes. And years later, they still work fine. Wow. What's the driver for? What's the part that pulses that makes the sound? They build all their parts, and it's enclosed, so um, there's not very much air gap in it. So that way you could shoot it and everything. But they sound amazing. Wow. Check out their videos online. They show someone shooting it, setting it on fire, throwing it off a bridge. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll post links to all this stuff. Um, I have literally like 12 tabs open right now of all the stuff we were talking about. So lots to think about. I learned so much again. I'm going to mail all my uh, plastic um, ground loops, ground lifts, um, to China, return them where I got them. and uh, <laughs> Just take them back Home Depot. They don't check, right? Okay, I can return them. All right, that's a good idea. I can get they like take everything a, um, back. If I bring like 40 of them in, right, I'll have like a $3 credit. So that's worth that's worth <laughs> driving. Great. Good science. All right, I think we survived another episode, you guys. Thanks for sucking it up and uh, yeah. and having a good one with us. Yeah, it's thanks. Really thanks, fun. guys. And uh, I'll close with a little quote here. Theater is a series of insurmountable obstacles on the road to imminent disaster. Tom Stoppard. Great show, everybody. Yeah, great show. Yeah, I just, I, I learned a whole bunch of stuff right there. So, so thanks. See you next time on The Q. The Q is produced by Active Media Group in association with The Q Show cast. Music for The Q was written and performed by Kyle Swafford. For more information and links to our blog, online tutorials, cast, and videos, please visit theqshow.com. You can contact us at info at Now go out and make something, and you too can go to 11.